All right, so let's switch it up a little bit, and I want to talk about float therapy. So uh, again, just for the listeners, Justin and I both worked at a float therapy center here in Frederick, Maryland called Lightside Floats. Um, so we worked there for maybe a couple months together. Um, our, our times there sort of overlapped a little bit. I was working there before him, and then I helped him get a job there um, after we met at the yoga studio um, and got a little bit closer. And then uh, you worked there for like a few months after I did, right? Mm-hmm. And then you stopped You stopped working there once you went off to grad school yeah. this year. Yeah, so um, I'll lead in a little bit with some of my experiences floating, um, just I guess like a little bit of my history. So I've I've floated, I want to say, 20 to 25 times at this point. Um, and also, I guess we didn't mention, so like the float tanks, if you don't know, obviously you can just, you can Google it and look it up and you'll find it, but they're also known as sensory deprivation tanks. I think that people prefer to call them float therapy tanks now because it has like a more positive connotation. Mm-hmm. I think sensory deprivation, uh, maybe scares some people a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's what we're talking about. So the sensory deprivation tanks, basically the idea is that you are just floating in a shallow body of salt water. You're kind of in like an oversized bathtub is what a lot of the setups are like. And you're floating in like maybe 18 inches of water. Um, the water is extremely saturated in Epsom salts so that you float really easily because the water is more dense. And then, you know, whatever sort of benefits that Epsom salt might have for you. And the idea, again, it's a sensory deprivation tank, so you're deprived of all your senses, you know, the five normal senses. So ideally, you do it with the lights off and or close your eyes. There's essentially no sound. Um, A lot of them give the option for you to play music if that's what you're into. Um, You obviously are not tasting anything, hopefully. Um, there's, There's not really much of a smell once you kind of get acclimated to it. Um, and you do not want to get this water in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> or in your eyes. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to that with my first experience. Um, wow, you've got some of the water in your mouth. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> while, you, while you were floating? Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, man. I, that never happened to me before. <laughs> so then the, uh, the fifth sense that you're mostly deprived of is your sense of touch, which is really interesting. Um, and then there's the whole thing with, you know, gravity... Your, uh, your sense of the force of gravity being altered, you know, because you're just floating there. And um, the the sense of touch is really interesting. So the water is warm. I think it normally sits like around 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And they call that skin receptor neutral. And the way I've heard it um, termed is you can't tell where your body ends and the water begins. Mm. <laughs> so that's like skin receptor neutral. You can't tell if, you know there you can't you can't notice any actual difference in temperature mm-hmm. um so that's really interesting especially like once you settle in and you stop moving around um you know the water is just completely still you're completely still there's essentially no muscular effort involved yeah and you're just like this fucking thing hanging out in water just breathing and that has a heart beating <laughs> it's like and you're like just a just a fucking mind just floating there it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable <laughs> so uh, that's that's your quick rundown of what the sensory deprivation tank is. Mm-hmm. So my history, um, 
I'll just real quick say it. The first time that I floated, I got the fucking salt water in my eyes. Ooh. It was brutal. Ooh. I was having such a good time. <laughs> I, was, I was probably like halfway through. Got the salt water and it was like burning the whole time. <laughs> and I just couldn't do anything about it. But I sat, I sat for the remainder of the time. So uh, most places, the like sort of typical standard time is just a one hour float. Mm. So I, I started floating, I want to say it was 2016. And um, at that time, I was still dealing with that back injury, the herniated disc. So I mostly got into floats for like the physical benefit, mm-hmm. right? Because you get to float there, just your muscles completely relax, um, especially for like spine injuries. It can be good to, you know, just, just relieve some tension, you know, just get away from this force of gravity that's always pulling you down. Mm. And so the first few times that I floated, I, I want to say I floated like three or four times in the first year. Um, it was really like a, a physical um, practice, I suppose, like a, you know, a, a physical, uh, I don't know, act of well-being for myself, right? And then um, after that, I started floating a little bit more frequently, and I also got into some meditation more frequently as well. Um, so then it became at that time more of like an intellectual thing for me at that time I would I would not have called myself spiritual um I was still like my mind was definitely still dominated by like scientific you know reductionistic rational materialistic thought um and I yeah I had a, I had a strange relationship with the word spiritual yeah at that time so that was yeah. like 2017 and then uh after I did my yoga teacher training which I went through in, in 2018, uh, what was that, like May to November of 2018, you know, my, uh, my relationship with spirituality started to change and I was meditating even more frequently, um, getting kind of better at it, you know, because meditation is a practice. Yeah. I was getting, I was, I was having some different type of experiences, like more powerful, more profound meditation experiences. And then really like the float tank, is the ideal environment for meditation yeah (laughs) really like you know just being able to just let the you know the part of the brain that's always active just you know the parts of the brain because it's a lot of it um that are always active in like regular waking consciousness and just let it relax let it kind of shut down um and then create that space for this this different part of your brain this different part of your mind and your consciousness to kind of wake up you know the float tank is like the ideal place for that Mm -hmm. so now um i'm on a schedule where i float uh like once every month or two i'm trying to make it more strict and and float every four weeks actually with some of these other cycles i've crafted for myself and uh yeah man i've I've never had a bad experience in the float tank Mm -hmm. there was there was only one time when i got out early and looking back, I feel ridiculous now. I was just saying it's it just because I had to piss really badly. <laughs> I was just like, because obviously, like, I want to go in there and, and basically just, like, meditate and just be calm. And, like, yeah. I reached a point where I was getting deep into it. And I was like, man, all I'm thinking about right now is how I have to take a piss. Yeah. Like, this is this is not serving me anymore. So I, so I got out. That's only been, you know, one out of, like, 20 times. Mm. So that, uh, that kind of summarizes my my experience and my history in floating and, and maybe all maybe some uh, more specific memories will get conjured up as we talk about yeah. but you want to say anything about about your your experiences floating sure how many times do you think you floated now um over 30 mm. yeah because so when you work there 
Flow for free. Yeah, flow for Best free. Best fucking job in the There's world. infrared saunas, too. This is a plug low-key for light side flows. Yeah. Apply now. They're hiring. Go check out Elaine. <laughs> yeah, she's great. a dope boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you get to float for, you know, unlimited uh, unlimited times you'd like for no price, which is nice. So I floated about 30 or something times. And my favorite part of the whole experience is having like being in this container and feeling held almost and like Mm. having this be a place where you can like let go of everything and feel supported in some way or like yeah it's a a place to like discover and allow at the same time so when i when i go into the when i first started going into the float tank i would get like extremely scared uh i don't know Maybe I, I had this fear of like getting stuck in there or um, sometimes I can have pretty bad anxiety at times. So I'd have like these really anxious moments where I thought I was in danger maybe and like surre- being able to surrender to that danger and like f- get in touch with like some of my darker fears that I maybe push away and don't accept and um, just try and not to pay attention to. It's like, I find it, I find it being this place that like allows for those kind of uh, that kind of change of experience, uh, mm. where I'm like able to accept things as they come a little bit more, which is nice. Yeah, some of some of what you said it um it reminds me of this this Joe Rogan quote that I read like maybe a, a month or two ago. Uh, that was about float tanks. Yeah, I just I I wanted to record a podcast about float tanks, so yeah. I just googled quotes about floating, and I knew. I know that Joe Rogan um, has a lot of experience. He's a he's a big advocate for float tanks. I'm pretty sure he has one in his house. Yeah. Um, but so I found this Joe Rogan quote that was I don't it was it was just something saying like like the float tank like that environment can be brutal and it's just like oh yeah it's like it can be relentless. Yeah. <laughs> it it, it all it augments your experience your inner the like inner workings of your mind. Yeah. Well, it's just like it has nothing else to occupy itself with mm-hmm. and there's like nowhere else for you to hide from yourself. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's great for being intentional with your time and like, you know, it's almost like a way of being like, okay, I'm going to do this for an hour. There's nothing else I'm doing. Like yeah. I'm here and I'm committed and like, um, it's a great place to go to learn more about yourself. And like, I think floating can be like, a spiritual kind of practice in that way because it is learning what it's like to be yourself and like learning about the human experience and growing. And that's like kind of what I associate with spirituality is like growing. It's, I think the two are almost and like someone who's spiritual is someone to me who is trying to grow as a person uh, and change. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've had like fearful moments, but I've also had like really blissful moments in the uh, float tank too, of just like extreme joy and gratitude. I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind when I think about like joyful experiences, like how much gratitude I can have inside one of those and realize how amazing my life is, I think. And just be grateful for all of the like blessings that I have can be such a, a wonderful like experience to have while in one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's, it's very interesting, like the the type of mindset that you can get into, mm-hmm. and um, it can, like I, like we've been talking about, you know, because it it just takes away so much of like the noise, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that your brain constantly has to deal with, basically being shut off with all of your senses, um, mm-hmm. and it just it creates this sort of void, mm-hmm. and 
especially for people who might not be practiced, you know, in, in meditation or any sort of mindfulness practice, mm-hmm. like your brain sort of can panic at times to like <laughs> oh, fill yeah. the void yeah. and it can just turn into this positive feedback cycle of like, I don't know, strange or convoluted or, you know, dark thoughts potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it, it can, you know, go the other direction. And so, you know, positive feedback cycle is where one, you know, a, creates more of B and then B creates more of A. Yeah. Right? So they feed back into each other. Yeah. Um, so it can go in that sort of negative direction. But yeah. man, when it gets going in like the positive direction, it's like it can be really powerful. Yeah. You know, even transformational experiences for people just being in there one time. Yeah, I think so. It can have like a really um, positive psychological impact on people. And I think that a positive impact doesn't just have doesn't just have to happen from people going into float tanks. I think it's like when you're in a tank, everyone goes through their own sort of meditation almost where they're like separating themselves and getting in touch with themselves and understanding what it's like to be themselves a little bit. And that's kind of what I attribute meditation to being in a way is like understanding what it's like to be yourself. Uh, It's just like one way that I like to talk about it. But going in this tank is like, you're going to figure out yourself for this hour. You're going to, like you have no nothing else to distract you, nothing else to do but like focus on what's happening within your own experience. And meditation is kind of like a hyper focus on your own experience rather than like distracting yourself with whatever it may be that you choose to mm. distract yourself with. Yeah, and what you were just saying, it just brought up this idea. I don't know if this is exactly how you intended to convey it, but I had the idea of the the whole process and experience of like the floating like it culminates with the float itself while you're in there for one hour Mm -hmm. but like the whole experience of you you know whatever scheduling it in some capacity just making time making space Mm -hmm. for that in your life and then you know you drive to the float place you go through the whole sort of a tour and everything Mm -hmm. you know if it's your first time and it's almost it's almost like a, a ritual in itself yeah that you know just kind of like i said is is culminate or climaxes with the float itself. Yeah. But then after the float, it's like you sort of slowly transition back into reality. You know, you go back to your sort of regular world. Um, so I just, I just thought that that was really interesting. Did you intend to convey it like that at all? Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, but, you know, I guess you extrapolated it more because it's not just that hour yeah, just you spend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. It's an, you made me think about like I I made it this intention almost to like um, right when I enter the float tank every time I would like pay attention to that first step like <laughs> the, the second like any part of my body crossed that barrier <laughs> was like the bar- like the realm of mindfulness almost. Yeah, yeah. Where, no, where, that's a common thing. I think it's it's something about like a threshold something, but like using spatial environmental thresholds mm-hmm. to like say like this is going to shift my consciousness mm-hmm. like i'm going to step in and like i'm going to yeah. have this intention and my brain's going to do this yeah instead. it's really nice to have an altar like a space to meditate yeah, in yeah. kind of way and like my altar is like my float tank in a way you know like i go there and that's where i'm with myself and i don't do anything but be with myself during that time so yeah man i'm a. Uh, do you have any altars um i've never called it that yeah um, i have like I've I've been pretty big recently on on trying to like design the environment around me mm. to be conducive to you know whatever activity I plan to do yeah. in that space, um, as well as just uh, 
design the environments around me, you know, that I spend the most time in that project qualities that I aspire to, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, project things into the world, sort of, you know, aspects of my consciousness and the way that I organize my thoughts and the things that I value, um, you know, project these into the world so that it's like, it's just prevalent in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, uh, for some specific stuff with, you know, some of the different practices that I have, um, right now with like my home situation, living at home with my parents, um, there's, there's a lot of clutter around me and I don't have as much freedom as I would like to actually like design the spatial environments. Right. So I'm just like mostly spending my time up in my room. Um, and then, you know, I have this, this area, which is my dad's office where I record these podcasts. I've designed this to some extent. Um, not, not to a great degree though. Uh But so what I was getting at is that at this point in my life, um, in terms of designing the spatial environments around me, I don't have an incredible amount of control with it. Yeah. But there are other aspects um, of your environment um, and, you know, your your consciousness that you can design. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not just, I'm not talking about, you know, altering your consciousness with like drugs necessarily or anything, but mm-hmm. things like breathing practices. Mm-hmm man the like we did the breath work before we started yeah, here like yeah. you can spend three minutes you can even spend one minute on some sort of breath work because yeah. there's so many different breathing techniques yeah and just completely shift like your mindset you can literally change your physiology with some of the more intense ones yeah um so there's that i do a lot of that um i currently every single day practice four different breathing techniques for different situations yeah um, what are the situations? Yeah, so I'll, yeah, I'll get into that. I'll see if I can stick a pin in this. Remember to come back to the other environmental designs. Um, basically, I want to talk about like listening to certain music, certain sounds, um, and I want to talk about. I use candles frequently yeah. for the yeah. scent and for and for the flame. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, I've, I've, I even have a little bit of a. I guess I've never really thought of this as a practice, but I like wearing certain clothes or like changing clothes at certain times yeah. can um, shift your your mindset and your consciousness to yeah. a to a fairly significant degree. I remember learning about this. I took a mythology class in high in, uh, in college my freshman uh-huh. year as like a gen ed. Cool. And I remember one of the things we learned about was like basically any time in a story in a, in one of the myths, like yeah. if if they changed clothes. Um, or like changed form, obviously, you know, there's some yeah. of the, some of the different, uh, forms that the gods can take on. But basically anytime they did that, like it actually like marked a significant shift in like their character, like huh. in the story kind of. So I've been thinking about that more anyway. So, um, we were talking about the breath work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so currently <laughs> I'm trying a, a really interesting experiment. Um, Actually, let me go to that one last. Nah, fuck it. We'll just go next. We'll go in order. So, um, so I'm, first, I have to say that I'm sleeping polyphasically, right? Yeah. So that means I sleep twice every day. I don't want to get into the details there and get sidetracked, but I sleep twice every day. Um, so that means I have, you know, two instances where I have to wake up and like start my day, uh-huh. essentially. Um, then I have two instances where I have to get ready to go to sleep and actually fall asleep. So for the polyphasic routine, um, 
the schedule I'm on now, I sleep for four and a half hours. So my actual schedule, I sleep from 7.30 p.m. to midnight. Yeah. And I wake up and I'm up for two hours from midnight to 2 a.m. And I go back to sleep for an hour and a half from 2 a.m. to 3.30. Mm-hmm. Get up at 3.30. I have a one-hour morning routine. Takes me to 4.30. And then I leave to go to work. I get to work at about 5 o'clock every day. Yeah. Um, so that's just how it's kind of laid out um, chronologically. So... When I wake up for that two-hour period in the middle of the night, which is at midnight, um, the, the, the breathing practice I've gotten into, I've, I've been practicing the Wim Hof method breathing uh-huh. for a while, and we've spoken about that a little bit mm-hmm. in the past. Um, I've practiced that like on and off for like two years or so. Um, at this point, I've been doing it every single day for like the past three months. Mm-hmm. And what I've just recently started doing, I've done it now for like eight days, is I start the Wim Hof breathing immediately when I wake up. So mm-hmm. I have my alarm set for 12 o'clock to mm-hmm. wake up for that two-hour period. I have a second alarm set for 12.20 because I know that I'm going to do this practice for 20 minutes. Yeah. So I wake up at 12, turn off my alarm, immediately just roll back over in bed, lay on my back. Yeah. I start hyperventilating because that's yeah. like the Wim Hof method. If people don't know what it is, um, definitely look it up because I don't want to take the time to explain it here. Yeah. Um, but like at its core, you you basically hyperventilate and then you exhale all of your breath and you hold your breath for as long as you can until you feel like you have to gasp for air and then you take a big inhale and then you repeat that. <laughs> so like the simplest thing, the simplest structure you do, 30 power breaths is what they call it. That's like the hyperventilating. And then you exhale, you hold your breath. They call that the retention breath. And then you just do rounds of that. Yeah. So anyway, I've been practicing this for like three months straight, every single day. Um, and what I've started doing now is just doing it immediately when I wake up. Yeah. So like literally before I even turn off the alarm, <sighs> yeah, I start fucking breathing. I start yeah. doing the power breath. Because yeah. um, I just, I had this idea I had this notion in my head um, a couple of weeks ago, like as I was getting more serious about crafting routines for myself and how important it was and mm-hmm. how I think the morning routine is like the most important routine to have. Yeah. And I just started breaking it down like to finer and finer detail. And I was like, you know, if the morning routine is the most important part of the day, then the first minute of the morning routine should be the most important part of the routine. <laughs> so I was... I spent a week or two trying to figure out what to do with a first minute routine mm-hmm. and I didn't come up with anything great. I was like, you know, like say this in your head and like, you know, make sure that you've turned off the alarm and you're out of bed. And, yeah. and it was just like, it, just, it, it wasn't anything that actually mattered. But then I just decided this, I was like, I was like, how many people in the world do you think have actually done the Wim Hof method right when they wake up? So like the first <laughs> thing that they're waking consciousness is subjected to is just this this fucking practice of just immediately being mindful with the breath and challenging your willpower and Uh you know expanding your physiological tolerance and in terms of like the the breath retention and that oxygen deprivation yeah oh man so it's it's been pretty cool like i said i've done for like eight or nine days or something um it's been some of the like some of the most peaceful meditations I've ever been in. So it's, um, again, I have a 20 minute period and I do three rounds, which will take me usually like 
10 to 12 minutes probably um sometimes upwards of 15 yeah if i um if i go really deep into it and i um depending well i'll say this in the past what i've done is like depending on how i'm feeling i will like if i feel like i'm like a little bit sick like i want to hold off a little bit yeah so i will decrease the number of power breaths which are also the recovery breaths Uh right in between retentions so i'll decrease that actually so that when I do the retention breath, I can't go as hard with it. Like, I can't make it as intense. So what I've done in the past is, like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I might have some, like, a cold coming on or something. So I'm like, I'm going to take it easy. Instead of doing three rounds of 30, I'm going to build up, and I'm going to do 10, 15, 20. So it's going to be shorter, you know, less intense retention breaths. Mm-hmm. And I just spend more time in meditation. Anyway, what I've, so what I've been doing now um, is, like, I just started doing this thing in the morning, so I started off like easier, and I'm I was doing 10, 15, 20, so only three rounds total. Um, and then this week I stepped up, and I figured you know I, I've responded to it well. I feel good while I'm doing it, so I'm doing 15, 20, 25. And um, I don't think there's a reason to ever do more than 30 recovery breaths. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like that like building. I, I don't know. It's it's just my mind how I, how I like to structure it. I think a lot of people will have plenty of uh, success, if you will, you know, just doing three rounds of 30 like is standard. Uh, but anyway, so like these have been some extremely peaceful meditations. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think like every single time I've, I've stayed awake, because obviously I, I think a lot of people would expect that, you know, if you start meditating right after you wake up, you just fall back asleep. Yeah. Right. But I feel like I've been like fully conscious. Um and so when you when you become practice in the Wim Hof method, it it forces you to become like extremely aware of some of the, the subtleties in the the way that your heart rate changes mm. and the way that it responds to the breath. Mm. Obviously, like with the retention breaths, they can get pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, what happens, you know, so you you hyperventilate, right? And that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. they're they're power breaths here breathing fully and breathing powerfully and pretty quickly. So it definitely raises your heart rate. Then you slowly exhale to like a comfortable emptying of your lungs. You don't like gasp, pressing out all the air, Um, but you exhale fully and then you hold your breath. And so as you start the retention breath, your heart rate is already like fairly high. Like it's it's definitely elevated above a resting rate. Mm -hmm. You feel it start to slow down and then sort of in like the middle portion of it you get to a point where it like really slows down because now like the way that i've understood it is like you know once you kind of get like a minute into it like the body realizes like i'm not breathing i'm not pulling in any more oxygen so i gotta conserve what i have here mm-hmm. so it slows down the heart rate it's not pumping all the blood around as fast or as frequently and then depending on how long you take it, right? So like one way that you could do it and what maybe I would suggest for people just getting into it is you really just pay attention to your heart rate and you just observe it slowing down with that retention breath. And then once you reach the point where you feel it starting to speed up again, that's basically like an adrenal response is how I understand it. You know, it gets to the point where like, all right, like now your tissues are talking to you like, I need some oxygen. Like we got to make some changes here. Mm -hmm. So now whatever oxygen it does have left in the blood, it starts 
fucking flying around. Like the, the heart starts pumping real fast because mm-hmm. of that adrenal response. So anyway, like I, I obviously pay a lot of attention to like the nuances of, of the heart, the heartbeat, like I was saying. And so during that middle portion, like when it really slows down, if you can like really drop in like to the present and not be thinking about like how long have I been holding my breath, like mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, is, is my heartbeat too fast or too slow? Like, you know, I don't know, like you can really get inside your head and like mm-hmm. force yourself to start, force your heart to start beating faster. Actually, it's, oh dude, it's wild. It's, it's tough to explain, but it's like basically, um, you know, you're on like an empty lung and you know, you, you get to the point where like you want to start breathing again, but if you don't let any air out, you kind of just like compress like your, your rib cage, Mm -hmm. like right where your heart is. And you can literally like force your heart to beat like you're given some fucking CPR. Like you can get deep into the Wim Hof breathing. And like when you're like struggling to keep holding the breath, you get like the heart starts beating a little faster, but like you can, you can actually make it happen. It's fucking wild. (laughs) But so I've been, yeah, I've been able to get super deep in that, that portion where it slows down. Like when I've been able to like really drop in Uh and it's strange because I haven't really figured out if I, if I do better with, um, trying to be consciously focused on being in the present so that I like, don't force that heartbeat like I was saying or like don't kind of panic um, or just let my mind completely wander and just like forget about the heartbeat, forget about the breath, forget mm-hmm. about the fact that i am been holding my breath for like two minutes, you know, because mm-hmm. um, there have been times, I think, in both situations where it's like very conscious versus just letting my mind wander where I've gotten super deep and like I've had some of the longest retentions I've ever had. <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a powerful breathing method that uh, changes your physiology and stuff. Absolutely. And your uh, psychology. And uh, it's cool. Yeah. Oh, shit. So I was, I was also going to say, like, the, the calm that you experience after it, because you're essentially like, you're you're forcing yourself to have an adrenal response you're forcing you're, you're forcing like a fight or flight response yeah um with with how the body responds when you deprive it of oxygen for that long and um once you stop you know you finish the three rounds or however long you decide to go once you stop and, and you just sit in meditation and let the body just you know kind of come back yeah. to wherever it needs to settle into like it's some of the most like calm calm that i don't know some of the greatest calm that you can experience it's it's unbelievable and especially for me the way i'm doing it now it's like immediately when i wake up yeah i'm still laying in bed like i haven't taken the covers off me i'm yeah. like now i'm, I'm all fucking wrapped up and yeah. warm and like yeah, it's, yeah. dude it's it's been unbelievable sounds really relaxing and peaceful man if you can have the discipline to do it and not yeah. fall asleep yeah it seems like you got a lot of discipline in your life I try, man. I've um, been very intentional about incorporating a lot of different practices that are yeah. uh, really based on discipline. Like yeah. I told you, I like take cold showers and stuff. But yeah, yeah. let me uh, let me get to the other breathing. All right, I am interested to learn more about how you became so disciplined and what led to this disciplined lifestyle of yours. Because 
you have you live a very intentional life. I admire that so much, and I'm curious to understand how you be, how you developed in this line of discipline or this skill of discipline. So we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I'm interested to uh, spend some time talking about that because I've it's something that I've I've kind of thought about because I want to. Um, that's something that I feel like obviously like I have like some experience with and that I could speak to other people about, mm-hmm. but I haven't like, I, I just try uh, so hard to like make systems and, you know, sort of like models and frameworks out of everything mm-hmm. that I like, I haven't found a great way to sort of articulate like what my process has been like. Mm-hmm. I can talk about, and maybe this is all I need to do is just talk about these specific things that I actually do as opposed to trying to create this, you know, symbolic conceptual framework of like, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's your fucking four year plan for how to become disciplined. You know, maybe, maybe none of it matters. And I just talk about my actual experiences and, uh, let, you know, let people go through it themselves and give whatever wisdom I can. But yeah, so hopefully, hopefully we'll remember to revisit it. Yeah, I think we will. You're the interviewer now. I don't know what happened here. (laughs) I got a lot to say, I guess. uh, (laughs) I don't have much to say to be honest. Oh, I don't know, man. I think you do. I think you do. And you said a lot earlier, man. Yeah. Yeah. And shit, before we started recording, we were, man, we were having fantastic conversations. Yeah, we were. Man, this shit has been fun. I'm glad that you're back, man. I can't believe, I, uh, I had no idea this is how my Sunday was going to go down. I'm glad it's going down <laughs> like this, dude. Yeah, it's, I appreciate uh, your appreciation, dude. Yeah, dude. It's good to be back. Good to be here with Mutual you, too. Mutual love. Mutual love, man. So Yeah, it's inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, dude. Um, so I'll, I'll try to take you through, let me just take you, just give you an overview of the uh, the breathing practices that go along with each different routine, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll like go back into each one, but just make sure I hit on all of them. So I start my day at midnight, right? And I, I start my days on my weeks on Saturdays now. Is mm-hmm. how I've tried to uh, reconfigure my weeks and just see what kind of effect that has on me. So Saturday and Sunday is my week start, not mm-hmm. my weekend. So it's a uh, it's interesting. And uh, all right, so midnight. Midnight, I wake up, first 20 minutes, I do that Wim Hof method breathing. Um, Some other stuff happens in the morning routine. And then as part of my, I guess, sleep routine. So like I have what I call my polyphasic routine, which encompasses that two hours between midnight and 2 Mm a.m. Right. So that starts with the Wim Hof breathing. I Mm -hmm. do some movement, some uh, functional range conditioning based um, strength and mobility training. I don't want to get into that. I could talk about that for hours. Then I spend 40 or so minutes working on stuff related to the idiom perspective and just trying to organize my life. And then the last, uh, let's see, 10 minutes after that, I do this like daily review of like all the fucking notes that I take on my phone. Mm. And then I spend the last 10 minutes going through this like simple sort of sleep routine, just to make sure I'm like, slowly well maybe not slowly but at least intentionally trying to like lower my um my brain waves basically Mm -hmm. you know like slower brain waves essentially correlate with sleeping and recovering Mm -hmm. um so i have something similar for when i go to sleep at 2 a.m right for that after the uh the two hour waking period of polyphasic and then i have a similar but more extended evening routine which is you know after work and everything after the whole day so that's from like 7 p.m to 7 30 
and I just I fucked up the whole order here. Um, <laughs> so uh, just the simple thing for the evening routine. Oh man, I, I just I butchered the whole thing with what I was planning to walk through in order <laughs> in chronological order. But uh, so the evening routine, I just you know what Nadi Shodana is. I do. So Nadi Shodana um, is a practice in yoga most commonly and it's a breathing technique it's it's the alternate nostril breathing um but one it it definitely i mean all breathing techniques really like force you to be mindful Mm -hmm. um but at least for me when my nose isn't too stuffy it's it's a very calming practice for me Mm -hmm. so i just do two minutes of nadi shodhana right before i go to sleep every single night so it's literally like you know i'm fully ready to get into bed um I, you know, turn off the lights, close the door, and I just, I kneel at the end of my bed, which is like a decent height for me. I just prop my elbows up, lean forward a little bit, and, and do the naughty show, no, the alternate mm-hmm. nostril breathing. So I just, I do that for two minutes. Um, that one's not timed. I just do, I do five rounds. I do a four-second inhale, and then an eight-second exhale. Mm-hmm. And, if, you know, you do that in both directions. That's one round takes 24 seconds so five rounds 120 seconds takes two minutes literally just two minutes of mindful breathing like wherever you're at with like energy levels you know your brain activity can just drop you off so much like in a good way you know in an Mm -hmm. intentional way it gets you ready to go to sleep so that's the second breath work that i do and i i know i guess this is going in order i just i skipped around a little bit and i talked about how i do that in the evenings too all right, cool. So that, that takes you up to 2 o'clock, so I sleep from 2 to 3.30. I wake up at 3.30 a.m., morning routine. It's winter now. It's fucking cold, like, when I wake up at 3.30. And um, I scrape my tongue, uh, just to throw that in there, part okay, of the, yeah. the, the Dinacharya, the, uh, the Ayurvedic morning routine okay. that I learned from yoga teacher training. So that's the first thing I do, um, and I you know, make my bed and everything. Um, I have a, a morning routine where I, you know, move, you know, I have like a, a movement practice, um, again, with the functional range conditioning training. And before I do that, I do two things to one, warm up my body two change my physiological state, three, change my mental state. And four, I had a fourth on, but I lost it. So we'll just go with those three. Um, so the first thing I do, I do one minute of Kapalabhati. Do you know mm. what that breath work is? No. So it's also called the breath of fire. Mm-hmm. So it's where you like you you only breathe through your nose first off. Mm-hmm. And it's like really short, powerful, rapid exhales with the nose, like mm-hmm. audible exhales. So it's like, okay. like about that cadence, yeah. depending on how practiced you are with it. But literally just like one minute yeah. is enough to make a significant, noticeable change in your physiology and your mind state, the actual temperature of your body. Yeah. So I do that for one minute. Immediately after that, I juggle for two minutes. I taught myself how to juggle like a, a month or two ago, yeah. maybe two or three months ago, just juggling three tennis balls. Yeah. I set the timer for two minutes and just try to get as many juggles as I can. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm, I'm decent at just sort of regular casual juggling. I can like pretty consistently get like a hundred in a row, Mm -hmm. but forcing yourself, like having the time limit and I track it each week, I just record how many I got. Yeah. And I usually get somewhere between like 240 and 280 juggles. Yeah. Um, but it's just immediately drives focus, gets you using your hands, you know, some hand-eye coordination and again, raises the body temperature. 
So um, I've, I've coupled those two practices together. So it's always Kapalabhati, and I just, you know, for one minute, and I immediately just swipe up on my phone. The next timer mm-hmm. is set for two minutes already. Just hit play and start fucking juggling. Yeah. Now I go into my movement practice, whatever else happens, my morning routine, go off to work. Ooh, no, one more breath work. I forgot. <laughs> so this is the fourth one. So the first one was the Wim Hof. Second one was the Nadi Shodhana. Third one is Kapalabhati, the breath of fire. The fourth one that I do after I do my movement practice in the morning, which um, in the mornings I, I dedicate 30 minutes to it every single day. Immediately after it, before I go take my cold shower, I lay on the floor and this is a five minute practice and um, I do some segmented breathing. So similar mm-hmm. to the breath work yeah, that we did yeah. before this. Um, but for what I've been doing recently, I've experimented with some some different variations. What I've been doing recently is only segmenting the inhale. Mm. Um, and then the exhale is just a continuous six to eight second exhale. Like whatever the body feels like is just a comfortable, relaxing exhale. So I do this for five minutes. I have the metronome set on my phone that we used earlier. Mm-hmm. So it just beeps. There's a one beep per second. Mm-hmm. And that times every single inhale right every single segmented inhale and i climb so i do five rounds i do a 20 second 20 segmented inhale and then i do you know casual exhale then i do a round of 30 exhale round of 40 exhale 50 exhale 60 exhale so the 50 and 60 get pretty intense yeah um but that has been a fantastic practice that i've incorporated i've like Man, talking about like nuanced awareness of the breath, yeah. it's uh, it's it's crazy. Some of the things that you can learn about yourself. Like I feel like I've been able to breathe through like different parts of my rib cage and stuff. I can mm-hmm. like notice different muscles in my neck activating. Like as I get towards the top of the breath, um, the way that I'm able to to pull the breath in through my nose, but like have it be have the channel stay open. I don't know if you could feel that at all when we did the breath work earlier. Like when we did the thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, when people get really challenged with it, they like, it's like sharp and there's like a, they just like completely block off their breath to seal it in as opposed to keeping it open and just like gently pulling more air in with each breath. It's, I don't know. I don't know if you felt that at all. I didn't feel it. All right. It's cool. I've been doing it. Uh, like I said, like every day for a while now. Yeah. Um, so that's the fourth breath work that I do. So that, um. Yeah, so a, a lot of that happens like very early on, just you know, with the morning routines, mm-hmm. and then, like I said, after I you know go to work and come home, and um, I have the evening routine where I do some other movements. Um, again, functional range conditioning um, system, and uh, so I basically what that is like. I just I move every single joint in my body through its full range of motion, hmm. including my toes. I don't always do every single finger. Yeah, um, I guess I don't really do my jaw usually Mm. um but basically everything else including my toes and uh i finish with that nadi shodhana the alternate nostril breathing yeah Yeah, so those are like total time that takes up out of my day 20 minutes for wim hof breathing two minutes for nadi shodhana and i do it twice that's four minutes 24 there one minute for the kapalabhati and then five minutes for the segmented breathing literally just 30 minutes out of the entire day yeah. And that's because the Wim Hof takes up 20 minutes. Um, but it's just like so simple to incorporate breath work, you know, you know, breathing techniques and practices 
in a, like just very small doses to just like reliably shift your mind state and depending on what it is, shift your physiology. Yeah, breath work can be a really powerful way to initiate psychological or phys- physiological change. It's cool. Yeah. And uh seems like you're using it really strategically. Uh I'm a little hyper vigilant. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, I find myself envying your uh, your discipline and your structure. Really, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time uh, obsessing over mm. creating. Like, I'm. I'm trying to create a system of. I'm trying to create like a systematic process of tearing down my systems and rebuilding them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. Uh, a system of systems. Um, it's it's not super systematic right now. It's a it's a little bit neurotic at this point, I think. <laughs> and I just uh, I don't know. It's it's tough for me to uh, stick with like one system. Like, but I, I'm definitely in a in a better place. Like, I, I think like a, a month ago, even just like two or three weeks ago, I was I was sensing a lot of. Uh, instability and like unrest with uh the way that i was structuring things uh-huh. it was like on the right path uh, you know it, it's led me to where i am now and yeah you know even where i'm at today as compared to when i started this this holiday break you know where i was mm-hmm. at wednesday like i feel like i'm in a different place and you know mm-hmm. I've, things have evolved and it's uh yeah man it's it's i always feel like i'm moving in the right direction moving to something better whatever that might mean, mm. you know, and I just try to, uh, uh, this is that, uh, sort of insecurity popping up around certain words that carry certain connotations with me. But I, I want to say like, just, just have faith mm. that, uh, the decisions that I make are ultimately the right ones, even if they don't seem like the best option in the short term. Yeah. Faith that you're, you're going in the direction you want to go in. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, some people would, call that fate or destiny yeah. um you know something related to like spirituality um yeah i admire though your intention in moving forward yeah like very intentional Thanks. and very uh yeah very not strict um discipline and have you found yourself always to be like this discipline throughout your life no no definitely not i mean it's you know, I've, I've been going through a a fairly steady, like evolution and personal development. I've been heavily invested in my personal development. So, uh, since, uh, I want to say since maybe since high school, but like, especially since like sophomore year of college, Mm -hmm. um, just got like real intentional about just looking back on myself and just like, not allowing myself to bullshit myself, Yeah, (laughs) you know, just like, hold myself accountable, um, trying to, trying to live with integrity, I guess. And, um, I mean, I was, I like to use these words a lot because I, I was showing you that, that practice cycle, right. When yeah. we were talking earlier and the, um, the practice cycle, I have it broken down into four stages of curiosity flows into inquiry, flows into intention, flows into expression. And then it's a cycle and it goes back to curiosity and, um, yeah. So I I think about these things a lot and just trying to, uh, you know, use them as a guide for, you know, the way that I end up uh, structuring and organizing my life and the decisions that I make. And so, like, if you're 
if you're not going to be intentional about something, if you can't set an intention, I don't know, set an intention to be curious. Yeah. If you can't be intentional, be curious. Um, and if you're not curious, I want to say be intentional, but uh, if, if you're not curious, I, I don't know, um, take the time and try to be humble. I think a lot of times when, when people are not curious, like it's just, it's a normal thing in, in human life at this point, you know, people grow up and they become adults and, you know, the brain works in certain ways to create these heuristics that make decision making easier. But mm-hmm. like it takes out a lot of curiosity because people, you know, you enter into familiar situations, which make you think that you already know like everything about it. And people, people lose the curiosity, people lose the, the humility Um, If you want to take it to like a larger scale in terms of like the universe, like people lose their reverence. Yeah. So I just, I try to think about that a lot. So if if I'm not uh, in that, in that mode of curiosity, then I'm trying to be in a mode of intention with whatever it is that I am doing. (laughs) I guess that's how I put it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I like the wheel that you made, being curious. What, what's the wheel? Curiosity, intention, engagement? Or? Almost. It's, uh, it's curiosity, inquiry, intention, and expression. expression. So um, I, uh, part of what led me to sort of formulating this, um, I've been thinking about like art and science a lot. That, that juxtaposition of art and science um, like really, really appeals to me for whatever reason. And I feel like any sort of practice can be both an art and a science. And um, so I view art, I think most people would say like creative self-expression would be something really common, but I think just in general, like any sort of expression could be considered like an art. And then the science, you know, science, the way it's kind of supposed to be practiced is is an inquiry um and then i think the um sort of prerequisites or like the you know the prior stage that precedes each of those i think that you know for you to for you to express something there should be an intention you know if you you think about art like you, you set out with some sort of intention and uh maybe you can put it into words maybe you can't you know like we were sharing some of our sketches with each other yeah. and like mine was super intentional. I'm trying to teach myself how to draw the most fucking badass looking dragons you've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm just starting off. I've like never really um, committed any sort of time to drawing in my life. And I've, I've sketched like four dragons and, yeah. but it's, it's been like very intentional. And then uh, I, I don't want to say that yours was unintentional, but I think yours was a little bit more like free form, maybe more sort of on the curiosity side. If we want to go back to that, yeah. I didn't when I do my art, I usually don't have much of an intention. I kind of start and see where it takes me, and see like when I intend to do something, how what I tried to do didn't exactly go as planned, and then it's a lot of improvisation, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's kind of like a mystery of as where it's going to end up every time. Yeah. What was that therapy that you were telling me about? Uh, expressive arts therapy. Expressive arts therapy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I think one of the main ideas behind that is express, expressing the unconscious through different modalities. So that can be um, music. It can be 
visual art, like drawing or painting or sculpting, storytelling, poetry, um, clay making. Mm-hmm. All there's all these different modes of exp- movement, dance. There's all these different modes of expression, and what you're expressing. It depends what kind of lens, like philosophical lens, you're looking at expressive arts therapy through. But the idea is like what you're expressing isn't necessarily a part of you. It's this. It's a part of the collective unconscious, and what's being expressed has like something to tell you. Like it holds a message, and whether it's like the actual expression or the act of expressing, um, there's there's like a deeper meaning behind this like creativity, like this imagination that you have, and it's like the idea is to listen to listen to your art almost. Be aware of how your art's affecting you. That's interesting, man. So that's almost like a, almost like a self-reflective or like contemplative practice. Like what, mm-hmm. the way that we were speaking about meditation earlier is, um, you know, kind of creating that space to like observe the conscious mind or mm-hmm. sorry, the um, the subconscious. And uh, what you're talking about is, you know, sort of releasing the subconscious mind to express itself through this medium. Mm-hmm. You know, some sort of creative outlet. Um, and then, like you said, trying to learn something from it. So like, again, creating that space and just like looking, like if, if you could actually, um, you know, sort of, sort of allow that, that part of your mind to come out while you're expressing, you know, whatever the art form was, the drawing, the moving, um, whatever it was. And then when it's done, being able to step back and be like, what was I even like, what is this? Like, what was my subconscious mind trying to tell me? Yeah. It's an interesting contemplative practice. Yeah, and it's kind of an uncomfortable one. Uh, it can be. Uh, I'm not. I don't really have like much of a visual mind, so just like creating visual art doesn't always feel great to me. But and there's a lot of like you know little perfectionistic things you gotta get over too about not having it be the way you you want it to look. And you know people can judge their art, and when it's something that doesn't look good to them or isn't you know wasn't beautiful or wasn't perfect or wasn't as meaningful as they thought it to be, they kind of like, or they can, yeah, they find some kind of flaw with it, then they judge it and they don't want to look at it. They don't want to hear from it. They don't want it to be a part of them or they, they don't want to like figure out, they don't want to interact with it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like when you judge something, you're kind of like not looking at it, you're not aware of it. And so a big part of it is like acceptance and whatever is being created and like a willingness and a curiosity to see, yeah. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, dude. How things are manifesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been trying to get into a uh, a more diverse array of, of creative outlets. Like mm-hmm. I was telling you, I'm, yeah. I just started this this weekly practice. Just once a week, I sit down for thirty minutes and try to draw a fucking dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I was I was telling you, I haven't actually started it yet because I like just planned it out. But to also spend thirty minutes once a week, like trying to like write either like poetry or like rap songs or like yeah. maybe in the future I'll start trying to freestyle just to <laughs> see if I can let my mind loose and like get over some of these uh, like insecurities and like mental blocks that are, you know, like creative blocks. Yeah, it's a good practice to have and it's it's quite, it can be quite playful. Yeah. yeah playing around is important. Mm. Yeah, man. The, um, oh, the, I don't know if I, if we spoke about this when I showed you or tried to explain the practice cycle earlier before we started recording. Um, but in, instead of just thinking about it as a two-dimensional 
circle, right? That, you know, just travels around in this cycle. Yeah. I like to think about it. Oh yeah. I think we did talk about it. Or maybe we, maybe we spoke about your picture with just the spiral dynamics, but anyway, I like to think of it as a spiral. Yeah. So, you know, it travels in this circle, but it's not just two dimensional flat in the page. Mm -hmm. It travels upwards the whole time as it spirals and it goes through. Um, so it keeps getting taller and it keeps getting wider. You know, Mm -hmm. the circle keeps getting bigger. Um, and like each time, each sort of iteration that you, you work through the practice cycle, like you, you expand the space of possibilities, you know, like one of, if you just take any, any sort of intellectual pursuit, um, which is, you know, very easy to relate to the curiosity and inquiry half of that cycle. You take like any sort of intellectual pursuit and like, you know, just about everyone knows that the more that you learn about a subject, the more that you know about a subject, the more that you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So again, like with this practice cycle, like, you know, you go through a few rounds and you realize like there's so much more for you to be curious about. There's so much more for you to inquire about. Yeah. And then as you learn more from that half of the process, there are different sort of intentions that you can set. So you have, you know, more nuanced awareness yeah. and knowledge and insight. And then with those new intentions, you try to express certain things. And, you know, as you continue through that cycle, you are able to express things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, more precisely perhaps or just you know a broader range of things that you intended to do and, and were able to actually express and actually make it happen in the world yeah it, I I hesitate though because when you talk about expressing you talk about like it has to be so deep almost or this well like it's, expression isn't all about depth too sometimes just like expressing the 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 most general thing or like, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of skill to express something. Uh, maybe I'm going, I was, I picked up on the last second of what you were saying too a little bit. No, it's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you is that it, it doesn't always have to be structured like that um, yeah. in terms of just expression in general. Yeah. Um, but for like the way that I conceptualize practice, like yeah. I, I think that most of practice should be, intentional um and if you don't have a specific intention i think i said this earlier like you can just intend to be curious yeah yeah yeah. intend to be open-minded totally um and just kind of see what happens totally and uh it's cool so one of the other things with expressive arts therapy is the idea is that uh other so one mode you do influences and enhances the other modes uh, of expressive arts as well. So, like, if you move before you draw, your movements will change your drawings. Or, oh, I totally believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been practicing that a lot too. Before I draw, it's fun to like just move authentically, or you know, before I move, maybe I'll do some like singing or just like some rapping or just dude, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, it's it's interesting to see how the different modes affect each other and um, enhance each other and stimulate each other. So. Yeah, man, I can all add on to that. Something I wanted to speak about earlier when we were talking about some like rituals and routines and stuff Mm -hmm. and and designing the environment around you, Um, especially for like these sort of creative outlets, like we were talking about um, any sort of music, you could, you know, intentionally and and skillfully listen to certain music or certain sounds like while you're going through some of these activities. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that would have an effect on what you ultimately express. Yeah. And you know what binaural beats are? I do. 
Yeah, yeah. dude. And like isochronic beats, they're always like coupled together. Oh, I've, I've um, heard of isochronic. So I've I've done a little bit of, you know, research. Read like maybe three blog posts about this yeah. recently. Um, so they're they're similar. Like basically, both of them is just like it plays a noise. Usually, it's some sort of like buzzing type sound, right? Yeah. Um, so the isochronic beats or isochronic tones, I think they're usually um, yeah. termed. The isochronic tones, from my understanding, is just one tone, and they just play it on a certain frequency. So it's it's like literally just the same tone repeated. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it, I think it's usually for the higher frequencies. So it might be like a forty hertz gamma wave. You know, corresponding to the gamma waves in your brain, a forty hertz gamma wave isochronic tone. So it's just this certain sound. I don't know exactly how they choose the sound itself, um, but it just goes on a 40 hertz frequency, and the only thing in between it is just silence. So it's literally just this one tone, just 40 hertz, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the frequency is. The binaural beats are interesting, and for binaural beats to actually have the intended effect, you have to listen to it with headphones. Yeah. Because it has what the binaural beat is, they play two different beats. Um, one one beat goes in the left ear, one beat yeah. goes in the right ear, uh-huh. and there's a difference in the frequency. Uh-huh. Whatever that difference is in the frequency, that's what they list it as, right? So yeah. there might be, like the ones I listen to, um, there's uh, 7 hertz theta waves yeah. binaural beats that I listen to. Um, do you listen to that while you do something else? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'll get into that. Let me finish the binaurals real quick. So so it, um, it it plays the two different beats, and I don't know exactly, again, how they choose those types of sounds, but again, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a buzzing sound usually, mm-hmm. some sort of just like vibration. And um, the difference in the frequency, so for this example, like the 7 hertz theta waves, that difference basically like because your brain is getting these two different inputs from the two different ears, yeah. your brain basically like creates a third frequency that's not actually there mm-hmm. that matches up with that difference in the frequency. Hmm. It's pretty fascinating. Just like the way that like the brain just tries to like create patterns out of everything. Like it can't, it can't really comprehend like, you know, this one is going at 10 Hertz and this one's yeah. going at three Hertz yeah. or whatever. And it just like combines it and it's okay. And so yeah. do you, what do you do when you're listening to the binaural beats? Yeah, so I have I have a few different things um, that all a few different other like rituals or practices or routines that I'll couple it with. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a long time, I was doing I was doing my Wim Hof method breathing and meditation with the uh, the seven hertz theta waves that I was just talking about. Those are generally good for like getting into meditative states. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm doing the Wim Hof method right when I wake up, I don't do that. Right, because I want to literally go right into it within the first minute, within the first second, if I can. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, you know, take time put headphones in. Um, if I do, at other times that are not scheduled at this point, like do a separate meditation, an additional meditation. Yeah. Um, in addition to like the practices and the routines I laid out, I will almost always use that seven hertz binaural beat. Um, when I'm writing, I'll usually listen to an uh a higher frequency alpha wave binaural beat. Yeah, why is that? Um, man, I'm not going to be able to tell you all the exact characteristics yeah. um, with the different brain waves, but yeah. so there's, I mean, I can list the five of them and maybe give you some general stuff that hopefully is not just entirely wrong about them. But yeah. so there, there's alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and theta waves. Mm-hmm. Um, so the order of, of the actual frequencies in terms of you know magnitude the the lowest frequency 
is delta waves. So this corresponds with like sleeping usually, yeah. like that type of state, a really drowsy state. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's delta basically goes from like zero to around like two and a half hertz, something like that, or like okay. zero to four. I don't know exactly where the cutoff is. Yeah. Um, the theta is the next. So that goes up to, I don't know, seven or like 10. Yeah. So basically the ones I have on my phone, like the delta waves I think are at 0.5 and 2.5. The yeah. theta, there's two for each of them. The theta is a four hertz and a seven hertz. Uh-huh. The alpha is like a 10 and a 12 the beta is something like 27 and 36 and then okay. the gamma is like 40 and 70. Yeah. So basically like there's, you know, higher levels of brain activity generally corresponding with like higher levels of sort of energy. Uh-huh. Um, so like regular like waking state is is beta. Okay. Generally corresponds to beta. So it's like, you know, generally like focused and alert. Yeah. Um, the gamma, which is like the higher one, I've heard it described as like, like gamma waves don't happen that frequently. Like you're not just in a constant state of gamma, but it's like mm-hmm. basically like I think I've heard described as like a gamma burst, which yeah. is which can also be a completely different thing in physics with like a gamma ray burst. But the like gamma bursts of like brain waves basically like different areas of the brain kind of light up and just like network together like real quick. And so mm-hmm. when you have like a gamma wave burst of brain waves, it's like um they call it like an aha moment. Yeah. Right. Um, any sort of like creative breakthrough or like epiphany, I think corresponds with the gamma brain waves. Okay. Um, so what else did I not cover? So beta is like regular waking state. Um, I think alpha is associated with kind of like a daydreaming type state, like relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like a a more creative state, you know, outside of those like gamma bursts, like I was talking about. And then the theta is more of like a meditative, like contemplative state Mm. yeah so oh man this just makes me want to talk about flow states you know anything about flow states i don't oh man i'm feeling a little overwhelmed though already yeah yeah Yeah. let's not uh oh man we can talk about another time though but um yeah some of the like neuroscience around the uh the flow states is really interesting with how it corresponds to the brain waves um so yeah so the binaural beats so those are the five different ones so I use the theta for like meditation. I use alpha for like when I'm trying to, you know, get into like a, a creative mindset. Um, yeah. Like most of the time when I'm writing and stuff. Um, sometimes, depending on how I'm feeling, if I'm feeling like a little low energy, yeah. um, sometimes I'll throw on like some alpha binaurals like for some movement. Other yeah. times I'll use the theta. Um, and then if I'm like reading, a lot of times like I've gotten the habit of reading with some some beta waves because it like really like keeps you alert. I've never been a super strong reader. Like yeah. I kind of just like my mind will wander off. Of, yeah. You know. So you find um, do you find yourself or ever think of yourself dependent on the waves or like uh, I've thought about that and yeah. I've um, yeah I've, I've I've tried to take some steps to make sure that that doesn't happen. How so? Um, it's not super systematic, but I yeah. just like I I do spend sometimes I, I spend some time not using it for like those exact situations. Yeah. Um, and honestly, maybe just thinking about it now, maybe some of that just occurs, uh, s- sort of just occurs, um, just like by chance, yeah. <laughs> like kind of being lazy about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, usually, uh, usually, 
I have like the time. Not that it takes a whole lot of time. Just yeah. put headphones in, go to SoundCloud. Uh, is it wire? You use wireless headphones? Yeah, yeah. I just got the wireless, like actual, like the earbuds. You know, that go in your phone. Like okay. Um, yeah, and I just I have this uh, this playlist for whoever else wants to check it out. It's um, it's just from from Gaia Meditation, and I don't. I'm is not it on like, Spotify. Um, I don't know. I, I have SoundCloud. Oh, it's on SoundCloud. Um, so I have SoundCloud, and I don't pay for it or anything. Yeah. But if if you go to you know Gaia Meditation, you yeah. go to their account. Yeah. They have this um, they have this playlist that they've made, which just has all it has is those ten binaural and isochronic beats. Yeah. Um, it has those ten. You know, two of each of the different brainwave states, and each of them is just a loop for one hour. Yeah. That's it. The only thing that bothers me about it a little bit, which is pretty easy to get around, um, is that right at the beginning, like it, it just has this voice. You know, this voice yeah, come on. It's yeah. like Gaia meditation. Yeah, like yeah. it just. And so if you're like listening straight through, and you come to the end of a song and the yeah. next one starts, that can kind of throw you off. But yeah. usually I'm not. Usually I don't have it in for over an hour, and it fades out at the end, so you can know to like pull it out and rewind it or yeah. something if you want to loop it for more than an hour. That's cool. Yeah, so guy meditation. If if anyone wants to check that out uh, for the binaural beats, um, but I I I think that it helps. And if anything, even if it's just like a placebo, it's just mm. you know even if even if there's nothing to like the theta wave binaurals I'm listening to helping me get into meditation better, I think that just having that consistency of like. Yeah you know, nine times out of 10, yeah. I'm going to have this audio stimulation while I'm doing this activity and trying to yeah. get into this certain state of consciousness, you know, the certain mindset. Yeah. But meditation, it's like, uh, depending on what meditation you do, some of the meditation is around like taking away yourself from the stimulation, right? Yeah. But I, I mean, also a lot of it, a lot of different techniques are around anchoring to a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course there's always the option of anchoring to your breath. Yeah. Um, but I, I've found like when I can anchor to like, like what if I just tried to come into the deepest, you know, most nuanced awareness of this sound, Yeah. you know, especially like with the binaurals, like, can I actually perceive these two different frequencies coming in the left and right ear? Yeah. And I've never been able to do it, but I like, I yeah. try to focus in on it and I try to figure out like which of these beats are actually occurring and which one is the third frequency that I just made up. Mm. I can't do it. Interesting. <laughs> it, like, it, uh, Definitely it, a different path than yeah. I would take. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's different for everybody. Yeah. But yeah. Um, when we were talking about like designing your environment, like the spatial environment around you is, is huge. But if mm. you don't have the opportunity to design that, if you can, you know, design the, the five senses, yeah. you know, in, in some regards. Um, so obviously that was like the audio, um, the you know the the visual aspect of it mm-hmm. kind of relates to like the space around you the things around you that you can see of course but what i've been doing like i got glasses recently mm-hmm. have you seen me with glasses yet i got glasses recently when i uh you know finally got health insurance with this new job yeah and my vision's not that bad i have 20 30 in one eye 20 yeah. 20 in the other eye um but i finally had insurance so i wanted to get glasses because my left eye like is noticeably worse yeah but when I, I can put on the glasses and like it, it literally gives me a new perspective. I yeah. literally see things differently. Yeah. And so it can like it can sort of be like um 
the threshold thing I was talking about. Usually thresholds are like you step into a certain space and you're like, all right, that's the like that's the switch and I'm in a new mindset. Mm-hmm. But I can just throw these glasses on and like instantly see things differently. I'm like, all right, I'm in a different yeah. mindset. Yeah. I'm literally perceiving reality differently just yeah. through the visual sense. One of the things that keeps popping back into my head is like this your life seems so optimized. Would you agree? That's that's the intention, dude. That's yeah. what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm like, what do you think is what's so significant about like optimizing your life for you? Because it's something that I resonate with too. But I I see it causing a lot of problems in my own life if I try to optimize and I'm not really successful in doing so, or just thinking that things have to be better in order for me to enjoy them. I think. Yeah. So are you asking more like what has been significant in kind of helping me achieve a more optimal state? Well, what does optimization mean to you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, first, like it's whatever I, I could say, like it's, um, you know, it's, it's different for everybody, like mm-hmm. whatever situations are going on in your life and, you know, based on your goals and your current situation, like the way that you would go about optimizing your life is different for everybody. Um, but I think something to try to speak to like in a, a general sort of all encompassing sense, like to, uh, to optimize your life. I mean, one, I, I would like to start and the, the place that I've came from a lot, um, mentally is, trying to optimize like my physical well-being mm-hmm. um at least just for me personally like when my physical well-being is off it, it really shakes up everything else mm-hmm. um so like i said i you know i had that that herniated disc that back injury and uh definitely like fell into a depression after that like yeah. other times when i've been injured like those have caused you know significant effects elsewhere in my life mm-hmm. so for me it's like starting off with you know, just your physical well-being. So it's like simple things that everyone knows they should be doing, mm-hmm. but that are much harder to accomplish than, I guess, um, than what they should be. Is you know, so like eating right, making sure that you get the right amount of sleep, yeah, making sure that you're exercising, moving around and stuff. Um, so I mean, I would I would start there, but you know, to to optimize your life, you know, it's being able to like see the big picture and you know have this sort of holistic approach and have a, a dynamic balance. I, I like to call it dynamic balance, not just, you know, people say balance and like mm-hmm. think that it's just this static thing that's mm-hmm. like off in the future and you're just going to get there and everything's going to be fine. But yeah. it's like realizing everything like is constantly changing in your life. Yeah. Right. And so it's trying to achieve a dynamic balance, just making sure like kind of just keeping things in check, you know, it's yeah. always going to fluctuate. Um, so being able to see that holistic picture but then being able to like zoom in on like what you're actually doing for like specific areas of your life. Yeah. I guess you can get as granular as you want. I mean, I was talking about, you know, the physical, obviously there's like a mental and intellectual side. There's like your, your emotional wellness and everything and Mm -hmm. spiritual, you know, if, if you want to go there and you're at that point in your life, you know, even like you can talk about like finding balance with your, your social life or like, you know, balancing, work and social whatever your your parenting your family life so um yeah i I don't know man it's i guess i guess it's a lot and i think what a lot of it comes back to like best advice 
for like where to begin if if you're trying to optimize your life if you want to use that term is like discipline yeah right like discipline because like to i think a lot of these things like especially with the internet like people have a good idea of what they should be doing yeah right there's so much information out there yeah and it's, it's just having the discipline and then I think, I mean, there, there's some skill involved mm-hmm. eventually, you know, mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, just being, being skillful with, um, the way that you make your decisions. It's, uh, I think it's remarkable how much, how much control like humans actually do have over their lives. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of stuff in, um, religion or sort of like spiritual areas, um, philosophy of, you know, letting go of control. Mm-hmm. So then I, I guess what it comes down to is recognizing what you can control, recognizing what you absolutely have no control over. Yeah. There's a lot of things you don't have any control over. Yeah. And just surrendering to that. Oh, this is good. This is good. What just came up in my head. So it's like, yeah, recognizing those two things, you know, fully separating, like I have full control over these things, mm-hmm. this very, very small section, this very small area. Mm-hmm. And everything else around me in the whole fucking universe, I don't have any control over. Yeah. And so it's just completely surrendering to that. Yeah. The things you don't have control over, like the universe is going to do what it does. Yeah. And then just being extremely disciplined about what you can control. And I think like if, if I was going to break down anything into like a binary, because I've, I've had a lot of thoughts around how a lot of like these binary structures don't really exist so much Mm -hmm. Um, but i think this is really useful to recognize like this is the small amount of things that i can control this is everything else that i can't control so i'm just going to surrender whatever i can't control is going to happen and then just be extremely disciplined about what i can control that um some of the inspiration for that not to actually get into the flow states i just want to credit jason silva for anyone who knows about jason silva and uh Heard him talking about a pod, talking on a podcast about flow states, mm. and um, I don't know what he brought up first, but I know he said like he or like some company he's affiliated with like made these T-shirts, and it's just a, a simple Venn diagram, and um, in one circle it says discipline, the other circle it says surrender, and then where they overlap is flow. Mm. It's, it's really fucking beautiful. <laughs> um, and that's what it is, you know, surrendering to everything that's outside of your control, but just being extremely disciplined about the things that you do have control over. So, yeah, we've uh, we've been going on for a while, so it's, it's been over two hours. Wow. <laughs> so this is, yeah, if I think you were trying to figure out yeah, how much time it's been. It was, so yeah. uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. You got time to answer two more questions, the, sure. the perspective ones? Yeah, yeah. All right, and this can be like it can be like just whatever comes to your head. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. There's no right or wrong answers. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Just to I'll, I'll I'll sort of break the ice to an extent. Um, one of the answers that I got on a previous podcast when I asked him, um, you know, what is one question that you could ask people that would give you a new perspective? Yeah. And he said he would want to know. He would ask someone, you know, if if you knew that you were going to die in 24 hours, what would your last meal be? Yeah. You know, so like it, it can be anything, just yeah. whatever you think would, would be able to generate a new perspective. Um, so, so yeah, what is, what is one question, what is any question that you think that you could ask people that would offer a new perspective? Yeah. I guess that, uh, that thing that you're beating yourself up over right now, is that something that you're going to 
care about 20 years from now or even remember 20 years from now. Yeah. That's good, or man. 10 years from now. Like, yeah, any yeah. amount of time. Yeah. It could be like one day from now. Yeah. Like some of the things people stress out about. Yeah, beat themselves up over. I know I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly, uh, I've done that before. Yeah, you, you, that. you're speaking from a, a sort of personal point of view there with like you kind of asking yourself that question maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, like how can I ask, how can I ask that to myself over and over again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's it's something good for anybody to to consider and to contemplate, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the last question, then we kind of flip it around. Um, what what is one thing that you could just say to a person or anybody? You know, what is one thing that you could say that would offer a new perspective? What's one thing that I could say to offer someone else a new perspective? Yeah. I almost want to just say, like, I love you and see how that changes what people think. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes people forget to love themselves, so if I can offer some love, maybe they can see their perspective from a new loving kind, in a loving kind of way. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's good, man. I was... Yeah. I like that a lot. I was um, I was telling you about some of the sort of like social life experiments that I'm planning to embark on that I've been mm-hmm. like mapping out. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good one to add. Just like once a day, every day for a week, just tell someone that you love them. Like someone who you wouldn't normally say it to. Just yeah. like your coworker or like the, the fucking cashier at the grocery store. Yeah. Like... Without just, creeping them the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if, I don't know, man. Even if uh, even if they do, that's yeah. that's their problem. Like if you yeah. go in, you go in with the right intention. I mean, yeah. don't don't be fucking creepy about uh, it. Like, no, I love you. Check it out. <laughs> just like how you know waitress or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> work. yeah. But I don't like just finding a way to uh, sort of skillfully work it into the conversation. You know, like I don't know. Maybe just what what if you went like a whole week, like every time that you wanted to say thank you and you instead said I love you or something. Like, what if you just did it like that? Yeah, yeah. That could be a fun little experiment. <laughs> yeah. I d- no, man, that's awesome. I definitely think, like, if if you were able to, uh, yeah, do that from, like, a, a place of, like, you know, genuine authenticity and, like, and like actual love for someone. Yeah. Um, and they were able to see that and not just be like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> like who's this weirdo? Like, I think that would give people a new perspective. Just like, who is this fucking angel? <laughs> just, <laughs> just going around, just genuinely, like, sincerely just telling everyone, I love you. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, I guess more of my idea behind it is uh, realizing that, like, they are loved and then seeing how that shit, it's not more of, like, who's this guy going around mm-hmm. saying that, he loves people. It's more like, wow, I am worthy of love. Mm. Even better, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then once you realize that you're worthy of love, how does that change your perspective on how you move forward? Yeah. Oh, man. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's a good place to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll leave you just a real quick opportunity. Would you like to tell people where to find you on social media or you not want to fuck with it? Uh, it's, I don't really have a big social media. It's more private stuff, so... All right. Yeah, thanks for listening. All right, don't look for him. His name's (laughs) Justin. You don't even know his last name. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) All right, thanks for listening. Peace out. Peace out, guys.